Hello, everyone, and welcome to the episode of today. So today we're going to be talking about how to stop setting yourself up for disappointment. I'm going to be clarifying what I mean by that, and then I'm going to be giving you four pointers or four things to focus on, hacks, whatever you want to call it, to help you stop setting yourself up for disappointment. Because you're going to realize that in a lot of in a lot of things in your life, you can actually make your life so much easier for yourself when you eliminate certain things or when you approach something a little bit differently. Sometimes we create so many problems for ourselves that don't actually have to be created. And it can happen due to kind of, we just get stuck in our old ways or we get stuck in patterns, or maybe we're used to hanging around people who behave in a certain way. But you'll realize that by, you know, paying attention to these four things that I talk about, you'll make your life a whole lot better. You're going to be disappointed a whole lot less, and you'll have way more energy to invest in other things in your life that actually matter. Okay. So, yeah, it's a big time and emotion saving episode today. I also have a brain fact and the brain fact is going to be around like mad cow's disease and the human variant of that. It's really fucking interesting. Not sure if I've spoken about this before, but I'm definitely going to go in depth about it today. And then, uh, then we've got the topic of the episode. And then at the end, we've got a listener question, which is actually a very good question. It's about kind of a really, really hectic, hectic kind of um, relationship scenario and then a breakup and not being able to move past it and, you know, what to do about that. So I feel like a lot of people will be able to relate to this particular, at least the getting over the ex part of it. All right. So life update, there's not much other than I literally got so sick for 48 hours and now I'm feeling a whole lot better. I think it's because like transit, I'm back home. I was in transit for like 30 something hours. So that's probably, that'll do it. That will get you. Those long 15 hour flights will get you. And think about it. There's like hundreds of people breathing in the same air in like this tube flying through the sky. So it's probably not a doubt that I got sick because God knows what I've inhaled. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm feeling a lot better now. So that's my life update. We're going to get straight into the brain fact of today. So I'm going to quickly talk about, well, I'm not even going to touch much on mad cow's disease, but the, the proper name for mad cow's disease is actually called bovine spongiform encephalopathy. Mad cow's disease. Let's just call it that. Humans cannot get mad cow's disease, but if they eat food that's contaminated with this disease, they can get the human version of it, which is called CJD, or it could be called variant CJD. And CJD stands for Krautsfeldt-Jacob disease. So it's obviously a name, Krautsfeldt-Jacob disease. And this is a fatal degenerative disorder and it eventually destroys the central nervous system. So it targets the spinal cord and the brain and the brainstem. And over time, it kind of breaks it all down and you die. And it, it is pretty rare to have CJD. So in CJD, the brain cells, the spinal cord, they're all destroyed because little holes begin to form all around the brain and spinal cord. And because of this, the symptoms are very, very severe. So it's a really fast onset of dementia like symptoms and well it is dementia it's a loss of memory difficulty with body movements like your gait difficulty with walking difficulty with speech just motor deficits in general and once it begins so once the onset of these symptoms begin the progression is very very fast so from onset of the symptoms but in other words when the symptoms are noticeable to 
death, it's normally one year or less. So it's very aggressive, very, very quickly. And every single patient that contracts this disease will die and there is no cure for it. So it is very rare, but there is no cure for it. Now, eating meat from a cow with bovine spongiform encephalopathy is only one of the ways to contract this disease. Um, that is the variant CJD versus CJD. It can also be inherited. So if somebody has CJD, um, I'm going to explain to you in a while because I did say that it's a one year before you die, but I'll explain it in a sec. But it can be inherited, so it can be passed down if you have kids. Um, it can be transmitted as well, but transmission isn't really easy. It has to occur through like a transfusion or a transplant but like casual contact with another person and their saliva or through sex is not what's going to do it. It's more like transfusion of infected blood or infected tissues. But in most cases, it is sporadic, meaning that there's like no definite reason as to why it's happened. Um, now I'm going to tell you an interesting story and I this was really hectic. This is before I started my master's. I was put in touch with somebody that worked at the Brain and Mind Centre at Sydney University and he was generous enough to give me a tour and spoke to me about the studies that he does and, you know, all of his body of work. And he focused heavily on CJD as one of the things that, that he, you know, dedicated a lot of his research and time to. And he showed me, he was able to show me bits of brain under a telescope so you could see the difference between a healthy brain and a, a brain with somebody that had CJD and they dye the brain in kind of either this pink or purpley kind of dye so the contrast of the tissue is a lot more visible under the microscope then they go through this whole process to make the brain more like a um like a hard rubber so that way it's easier to slice. And they slice it in these like really, really, really thin, like we're talking less than a millimeter thin slices. They put it between two sheets of glass and then you can see it under a microscope and you could see the difference. And he would show me the difference between healthy subject and a brain with CJD. And there would be all these kind of like what looked like bubbles, but they're holes in the brain. Um, and he told me this really interesting case of – because I just said that it passed through transmission, right? And he told me this really interesting case that decades ago – this definitely happened in Japan. Now, don't quote me on any other country that did this, but this is definitely a big case in Japan. Between the years of 1975 and 2008, there was like 132 cases of this – it's called Duramata graft-associated CJD. And basically, dura matter is like the outer, one of the outer protective layers of your brain. Okay, so you've got these three layers of protection over your brain. You've got the pia mater, which is like a really, really thin, thin, thin sheet. You've got the arachnoid mater, which is kind of like arachnoid is in like a spider web. So it's kind of like between the pia and the dura, which is the outer layer. You've got this like web-like layer that where you have cerebral spinal fluid flowing through it so that's protective and then you've got the outer layer which is called the dura mater which is kind of like the consistency of like a thin fingernail that's kind of what you want to think about there are when when people go through surgery and they need to have like a, a you know anything done with their brain the dura mater gets removed and damaged so to replace the dura mater whether it's through traumatic injury or through a surgery where you need to then re replace that dura mater often you get that dura mater through a cadaver 
you know, donor. So basically someone who's died, they've donated their body parts and it's made of cadaver. But what was happening back in the day is that they would have all these – also, if you are queasy, probably fast forward the next couple of minutes because um, you're not going to love this. But fucking fascinating if you're into this. What they would do is they would get all the dura matter of these cadavers, so donor people, they would grab all the dura matter and they would put it in – he explained it to me as like a vat, right? And they would break down the dura matter and create, you know, like with all these donors together, they would mix it all together and create kind of this way of, uh, look, I don't know if it was a paste or whatever, but it's like this substance that could then be used on people after surgery or during surgery to replenish that dura matter that was lost, whether it was through an accident, head trauma, through um, through basically – patients needing like a graft after like a craniotomy or, or injury or whatever. So the scary thing is that if there was one person, one cadaver, one donor that had CJD, then everyone who got a uh, graft from that donor vat would then go on and contract CJD, right? Because it's through transmission, through donor, dura, graft, matter okay so they found that in this case in japan 132 cases of duramata graft associated cjd was made up 60 percent of the patients worldwide at the time with cjd so patients receiving this cadaver duramata now the scary thing is that it has a really really long incubation period so that means that once you initially contract the disease. It could be decades before the symptoms appear. But once the symptoms appear, it's very fast and it's very aggressive and it's like one year from symptoms appearing to death. How does it occur? It's caused by a prion and that is a misfolded protein. So when you have a misfolded protein, it passes on this malformation to other healthy variants of that same protein. And then this continues to get transmitted and transmitted until there's like widespread damage through the central nervous system or, you know, in this case, through the central nervous system. It also cannot be diagnosed via a test. So you can only guess, right? Um, the only way to do this is, the only way to properly diagnose it is post-mortem or through a brain biopsy, but that's a really risky procedure to do when someone's alive, so it's not really done. Um, and what doctors have to go off are the symptoms and how quickly the onset of the symptoms are. And they, so it's really hard to be like, yep, you definitely have this disease and you're definitely going to die in a year because they're, they're not 100% sure because they have to basically look at the brain under a microscope to determine for sure if this person has CJD. And like I said, when you look at the brain tissue under the microscope, it shows like the brain is quite spongy and filled with all these tiny little holes where nerves used to be but have since been destroyed. Anyway, that is the brain fact of today. I found that really, really interesting. It's one of the things that made me like definitely want to then go ahead and do my master's because when he took me through like the labs and was showing me all that stuff, I was like, this is unbelievably interesting stuff. And anyway, here I am talking about the brain every single day. Okay, that is the brain fact of today. Let's get straight into the topic of the episode. So like I said earlier, the episode is all about how to stop setting yourself up for disappointment, okay? What do I mean by setting yourself up for disappointment? So this is where you're doing the same thing or where you're banging on about the same thing or engaging in the same toxic circles or toxic behaviors and then hope kind of pointlessly or aimlessly 
that things are going to be different for you. So it all comes down to kind of how you view a scenario. So examples of setting yourself up for disappointment would be when you give an asshole in your life yet another chance after they've, you know, fucked you over again and again and again and here you are giving them another chance or when you expect the same thing from yourself when it just when something hasn't worked for you in the past and then you think, "Oh, I'll just do the exact same thing again and hope hope for the same for new results." Um or it could also be like when you feel like everyone has done you wrong and here you are suffering, feeling disappointed in every single person because you expected more from them, okay? So let's go through each point. Number one, stop setting yourself the same goals without changing the means of how to achieve it, okay? So a lot of the time you'll set yourself a goal and you don't achieve the goal, okay? So then you think, oh, fuck, Right, now this time I'm really going to do it. I'm going to be really motivated. I'm going to go again. So you set yourself the same fucking goal under the same fucking parameters and then you don't achieve it again. And then you're like, fuck, this time I'm really serious. I'm re-, And then you keep doing that. What happens? You start to respect yourself less. You honor your own word to yourself less. You th- there's less weighing on your word. You can't keep a promise to yourself. And... It makes you believe in your abilities. Every time you go into it, you believe in yourself a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less. And then this starts eating away at your self-respect, whether you realize it or not. You start to respect yourself and your ability to follow through less and less and less. And then you start going into these new goals, fearing that you can't do it. So you probably don't go in 100% because you're like based on my history, I'm not going to be able to achieve this because you didn't achieve it before. And instead of learning from your mistakes and understanding what you need to do differently next time or editing your environment so it's easier for you to do something differently. No, you go into it the same way and then you feel shit about not achieving it when you already knew that doing it that way didn't work and now you're disappointed in yourself. Now you're like, I'm a fucking shit cunt. I can't do anything. Oh, you know, I can never stick to goals. And then you start creating this really unhealthy narrative that then, of course, you believe because you're the one telling it to yourself. And then you basically go on only doing half-assed things because deep down you think I'm never going to achieve this, okay? You can have the same goal, but if you've already attempted that same goal and it hasn't worked for you in the past, and it hasn't worked for you twice, three times, four times, you need to edit the means of getting to that goal, okay? You need to be like, all right, what do I need to do differently? Because this isn't working for me. This is not fucking working for me. And if you go into trying to achieve that same goal in the exact same way, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. You're going to disappoint yourself and you've set yourself up to fail. You've given yourself no fucking chance in hell. And then you're hard on yourself because you gave yourself no chance. So let's say that you want to start studying every single day for one hour and you've tried it, but it just never works out. You end up always caving. You end up being like, oh yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm tired. And then when someone asks me to do something, I want to, you know, I always want to do it because I'm just a social being and that's what makes me happy. And then the assignment rolls around and I'm freaking out and stressing for the next two days and I end up you know, having to pull an all-nighter to get it done and I'm scraping with a pass. Okay, so then the next semester rolls around, you set yourself the same goal, nothing happens. Okay, what do we need to change here? We need to change the environment, right? Because are you capable of studying one hour every single day? Yes, you're capable of doing that. Can you possibly set aside the time? Yes. So what am I doing here 
that's just not working for me. And it probably comes down to your priorities and it probably comes down to the order of things, of, of how you do things. I used to be like that and I'm giving this example because I was like that for all of my undergrad and then the start of my master's. And then I thought this is bullshit. How is it possible that I can't fucking dedicate you know, consistent time every single day. And I don't want to go into my master's. It had been one semester in and I'm like, I don't want to go into this doing the same shit. So I started prioritizing. I would say I'm not allowed to go on to the next thing that I want to do, which could be going to the gym, things that I want to do that I'm normally very self-motivated to do that needs no extra drive. So whatever that might be. But I would make sure that I did this first, right? Um, that kind of delayed gratification. So I thought this is the hardest thing for me to do. I'm going to bring it right to the start of the day. There will be no excuses. And then at nighttime, I don't have to fall for the, oh, someone's invited me out and I really want to do it. Good, do it. I did it because I had moved my study to the start of the day. I knew that if I left studying till the afternoon, it would not get done. And I had experienced that for four years in my undergrad and I was about to do the same thing again. So you have to think you can have the same goal, change your means. Okay, number two, stop accepting words and read behavior instead. Okay, so it's like when you're talking to a friend and this friend is constantly taking their ex back, you know, this orbital, like they they go back to their ex, their ex breaks their heart, they keep going back to this person, are they in a relationship, are they not, they're having a meltdown, they're crying and you're looking at it from the outside being like, oh my God, when are they going to see, when are they going to see that this is the most toxic thing ever but they keep going back and back and back and back. The difference is when you only look at actions or behavior, it's very, very, very easy to make up your mind about somebody or about something or about a situation, whether it be your friends, whether it be a romantic relationship, whether it be your family, whether it be your co-workers, okay? You only have to look at behavior. The problem is that when you're in that relationship, that romantic relationship, when your friend is in that vicious circle, they're looking at two things. They're taking words and they're also looking at behavior. So they're conflicted because often this person's telling them something that they want to hear, but showing them something that they don't want to see. So they're, they're picking and choosing, saying, oh, I'm believing this, I'm believing that. If you were to remove yourself from that situation and say, how would my friends perceive what's going on? Likely, they would look at the situation and be like, wow, you're engaging with an absolute dickhead right now. You need to fucking pull out. So when I look at, I had a friend, for example, who was in this cycle for about a year, right? Going back and forth, back and forth. I don't think she even realized how many times she would have a meltdown to us, you know, to, to the other girlfriends, because it was just such a part of her identity and such a part of her reality that I don't think she realized how much she would talk about it. But all of us from the outside are like, there's no fucking way this is going to last. This is not viable. This is so unhealthy. This constant ghosting, this constant ignoring that you're even alive. But she wouldn't see that because she would then, when she would get to talk to this guy, he would finally like tell her the things she'd want to hear. There'd be fun banter. They would have a good time and then it would be back on. Okay, you need to just look at behavior instead. Every time you're thinking, yeah, but this person said this, but this person said that, what are their actions showing you? If your friend was to look at this scenario that you're in, what would they say based on purely behavior? If no one could speak to you, if they couldn't write, if they couldn't sign, if you could only read their behavior, would you stay or would you go? Because 
we waste so much time in our lives listening to people's bullshit that comes out of their mouth. It is so easy to say something. I hate it. When someone promises things to me, I often just say, look, don't promise it. You either do it or you don't. That way you're not letting me down and you're also not letting yourself down in my eyes, okay? I'd rather you just don't make a promise. There's nothing more annoying than when someone always promises to do something and doesn't follow through. I'd rather you just don't promise. Just shut the fuck up and either do it or don't. But don't disappoint me or don't disappoint yourself or don't fuck with me, okay? Just shut up. If you want to do it, go ahead. But I hate this idea where someone tries to – and a lot of people will make promises so they can get the accolades then and there in the moment. A lot of people say, I'll do this for you and this and this and I'll promise I'll do this and I'm going to do this. And everyone's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you're so nice. You're such a generous person. You're so good. And then they don't need to follow through with the goods because they got they just got all the congratulations and all the love by talking shit, okay? Shut the fuck up. Get the job done. And if you're not going to do it, then you're not allowed to receive the accolades until it's done. Okay? So behavior, behavior, behavior. Words. If some, I will listen to someone's word if they always follow through with their behavior. If someone in my life has consistently followed through with their behavior, then I'll listen to what they have to say. Then I'll listen to their promises. Then I'll listen to their commitments. But if someone's constantly fucking me around and not following through with a commitment, I don't have to listen to their word. I'd be like, just show it to me. Otherwise, not interested. Okay, number three, thinking everyone is the problem. If you think that everyone is the problem, then you are the problem. You are the common denominator. If you can't ever not once stop and say, you know what, I fucked up here or I contributed to this situation, to this drama or to the breakdown of this relationship or I contributed to the fact that you no longer want to communicate with me, you know, there, there may be situations in your life where literally the other person is 100% of the problem. That does happen. But if you think that everyone is the problem and you're never the problem, then you're the problem, okay? If you can't take ownership for something breaking down or, or for your part in something breaking down, you know, you don't have to take all the blame. But it's, if you're always right and everyone is always wrong, then imagine how difficult it would be for anyone to raise any issue with you. Think about it. If you've never admitted your wrongs, imagine how hard it is for your friends, for your current partner, for your family to try and talk about an issue with you because they know that you're going to deny, 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 shift, blame, shift, blame, shift, blame, and it's just painful because you know, they're going to approach any issue with you knowing that you're going to deny it anyway or that you're going to get so offended that they're not even going to be able to discuss the issue that's at hand. And, you know, if you're always right and everyone else is the problem, imagine how difficult, you know, the communication would be for anyone that you have to deal with. And ultimately, you've got to think who's the one who's ultimately going to suffer in the end? You. Because, if you're in a situation where you've set it up that way, where everybody knows that you're someone that can never accept blame, that everyone else is always the problem, you start, they start avoiding communication with you. They start avoiding being vulnerable to you. So then because of that, you block yourself from real connection, from getting closer. From, you block people wanting to get close to you. You block yourself from growth, from truly resolving conflict because your ego is in the way. And it's not, it's not worth it 
to do that. But a lot of people, it's like their ego is so big, they attach so much of their identity to being right. They fear that by being wrong, people will disrespect them when it's actually the other way around. If you're always right, then people disrespect you because you think because they think you can never own your own shit. And I'm always in the wrong and I'm trying to have a relationship with you, but you can never admit anything. I had a listener uh, question a few weeks ago or months ago, and it was about somebody who's could never communicate with their mother because she was always right. She was always right. And this is a mother-daughter relationship. And this daughter wanted to be close with her mum, but could not find a way because any important issues that needed to be discussed in order for the relationship to move forward in a healthy way would be shut down by the mum getting so offended, leaving the house, being like, how dare you accuse me of this when I blah, 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 blah. She would never ever take ownership for anything. And what what happened in that situation? She pushed her daughter away. She pushed her daughter away to the point where the daughter's like, I can't go over. I can't see this woman. And it's not that she wanted her mum to take all the blame, but she wanted to have an open conversation with her mother. Pay close attention if you're doing that to yourself, because then what ends up happening is you start to, you start to um, live through this self-fulfilling prophecy where everyone's fucked Everyone's got the problem and how coincidental that all these fucked people that have a problem are now leaving me and don't want to be around me because they're all fucked. Everyone's an asshole. See, I knew it. I knew it. Everyone's fucked. Now they're leaving me. Now no one wants to hang around me. Now they're excluding me. I knew that they were fucked. When in reality, everyone was neutral. You both have fucking issues, but you couldn't see your issues. You refuse to admit your issues and now these people are like, I'm fucking tapping out. This is too hard. This is too hard and I can't have a vulnerable open conversation with you because you're never going to be honest. So you will be setting yourself up for massive disappointment in the relationships in your life if you continue to operate that way. You have to acknowledge when you are the problem in a situation. Last one, number four, Stop allowing the same person to reject you. It is bad for the soul. It's so bad for the soul. Every time someone rejects you and you put yourself in the firing line again, you're not fighting for the relationship. You're telling yourself, I need to crawl back to this person. I'm not enough on my own. And the only way that I can be happy is if I have this person who's rejected me. Okay? So it's this fear of being on your own. Don't fear being on your own. Fear being with someone who's with you out of pity because often someone will have a bit of a power play and they, you know, you've got to ask yourself, is this relationship out of love or is it a power dynamic? Because very often when someone dumps you, rejects you, takes you back, dumps you, takes you back, dumps you, that's a power play. That's not love. And they're feeling very powerful because they're controlling the situation. And until something better rolls around, they really don't mind wasting your time or even wasting their time because at least it's semi-enjoyable and they've got someone that's kind of crawling back to them every time. It's good for their ego, okay? If you allow someone to reject you again and again and again, what you're doing is you're damaging your own relationship with yourself, okay? Because you're saying, I'm willing to put myself in a situation where someone doesn't truly love me they're just here for the power play or they're here for the, you know, to pacify themselves from boredom. But I'm putting myself into a situation where I'm crawling back to the same person that continues to reject me, okay? These are not grounds in which a relationship's going to thrive. And if someone disrespects you time and time again, then it's very likely that that person will continue to disrespect you into the future. 
So it's up to you to remove yourself completely because no one else is going to be able to do that for you. So in these situations where people think, well, how do I stop? And this is, I'm about to cover a very interesting listener question. But when you're thinking like, how do I stop this? How do I find a way to be able to, you know, not call my ex again, not keep crawling back to my ex, not do all these things. It all comes down to you understanding what the original dynamic of the relationship was and and making a call for yourself and saying, am I going to put my energy into growing my self-respect and growing my self-love and growing my opinion of myself? Or am I going to put my energy into thinking that this person was the best thing that ever happened to me? Because you would only ever crawl back to somebody if you thought you couldn't get anyone better and if you thought that that was the be, be all end all for you. Often when you think that someone was too good for you is when you die to be back with them and when you crawl back to them. If you knew that they were not too good for you, that there are plenty of fish in the sea, that your own company is just as good if not better than a healthy relationship, then you would not be crawling back to this person. It all comes down to your relationship with yourself. Every time you return to someone who's rejected you and you allow them to reject you again, that comes down to your relationship with yourself and that's where your efforts need to be. Okay, so to to summarize, these are the, the four points. I'm going to go into the listener story soon, but these are the four points. Stop setting yourself the same goals without changing the means of how to achieve them. Stop accepting words but read behavior instead. Stop thinking that everyone is the problem and stop allowing the same person to reject you. Okay, that is that. Now let's go straight into the listener story. Okay. Hi, Alexis. I recently had a very bad breakup and I started your podcast and it is amazing and I fill my day with the episodes which remind me of my value and bring me back to the present and make me feel super empowered. I'm looking for a bit of advice that relates to my story. I started dating a guy a year and a half ago and fell deeply in love. We talked about being married and we had so many future plans together. But recently, he went across the country for a work course for a week and while he was there, he went out partying almost every night. I have communicated my concern about him at least reaching out to make sure he is safe before he goes to bed. But he ignored me the whole time and would text me in the morning saying, I love you and would call me like nothing happened. When he got back, there was a morning where I rolled over in bed and I noticed a Snapchat from a girl from where he was that week. So my gut feeling told me to open it. I discovered he had messaged her the night before about meeting for sex I immediately confronted him and he said that he didn't know what it was about and he didn't mean it and he didn't actually go and see this girl. I went absolutely crazy and I called her and she also said the same thing, that they had never met up when he was there. I was, I was ready to forgive him and then as the day went on, I felt extremely uncomfortable and I felt like there was more to be uncovered. As he was sleeping, I went to look at his Apple Watch, which when you delete the messages on your phone, they do not delete on your watch. And I discovered that not only did the girl and him both lie about their messages, which they, which they still say they didn't, but he was also paying and seeking sex workers in the city while he was there. He said that he didn't actually follow through with anything, but for multiple nights there was messages of him asking them to come to him and pictures between them and deposits sent for their time. I kicked him out and I told him that he needed help. He also admitted that he needed help and told me that he was going to make it up to me and promised to be better and get help. After a month of not seeing any changes from him while we were not together, he was still partying and doing drugs and had not sought out any help. He continually led me on and fucked with my emotions by going from loving to completely ignoring me. 
Even though he betrayed me so bad, I have the most powerful pull towards him, leaving me feeling undignified and confused and just depressed as fuck. I was obsessed with checking his social media and knowing what he was doing and where he was. I texted him obsessively, literally begging for his love. He has cut contact with me now saying that he needed to get help for himself without me and I cannot get over him. If he said to me that he wanted to be back together, I would crumble, which I know is completely pathetic. I'm still in shock and it's so hard for me to believe the difference of behavior he had when he was with me before to when I found out to now. How do I get over the obsession of being with him? There is so much that I can say to you. Number one, he was never good. This is just him throughout. He was just really good at hiding it at the start and you fell for this facade at the beginning. So don't think that he had this weird, crazy, weird personality change from when you met him. No, no, that was a lie. He was showing you one very curated side of who he is at the beginning of the relationship when you were enjoying it. Then the real side of him actually came out. But the reality is that you were dating a lie for the first few months. So that's going to put your mind at ease to think that he didn't have some crazy change in his personality. That's just him, okay? It's very hard to believe the difference of behavior because these people that do something like this are probably seasoned experts at doing what they do, okay? But this – and I'm saying a seasoned expert because this guy has – no fucking remorse, all right? You can tell that this is just standard behavior for him. Not only is he texting this other girl, but he's seeking out sex workers and stuff. That doesn't have, you don't go from being like this monogamous, open, honest, loving person to in one week seeking out sex workers and other women that he's met to, to shag on a casual basis. That does not happen. This is something ingrained in his behavior for a very long time. And I hate to break it to you, but he's probably cheated on you well before this trip, okay? Or at least wanted to, which is, in my opinion, just as bad. Whether you want to or whether you do it, same shit. It's the intention that's behind it, okay? That's number one. Number two, it's you say here that you are obsessed with checking his social media and knowing where he was and, you know, and you created for yourself unintentionally this addictive pattern where it's like where the highs are so high and the lows are so low and this gets very, very addictive. So that's why often it's very painful to remove yourself from a toxic relationship. And when you're checking someone's social media, it is a dangerous, dangerous game to play. Very dangerous game. Especially when in the past you found information that incriminates this person. So you're digging, knowing you might find something. So the adrenaline is at an all-time high. And then when you don't find something, you get this massive relief of like, oh my God, it's not even happiness. It's just a relief. You feel relieved. And you feel like, oh my God, I can rest at ASK. It's fine. It's not doing anything now. That, le- that is, as, as you know, is so short-lived, that feeling of relief, so short-lived that you think like, in, in a matter of like a day or two, you're like, I need to check again. I need to check again. It's like an addict going for the next hit, right? So when you engage in these circles, you're seeking so much external validation that your ability to validate yourself gets lower and lower and lower and lower. Why do you you say, how do I get over the obsession of being with him? It's not an obsession of being with him. You need to be with someone that validates you because you can't validate yourself right now. Your self-love, I can tell you right now, is on the fucking floor because of this cycle that you've engaged with, with this fucking degenerate, all right? You need to find a way to complete. And also, 
I hate to say this, but here you say, you know, you texted obsessively, literally begging for his love. That just shows you how awful you were feeling about yourself. You had allowed this person to fuck you over and unfortunately, and it can be reversed, that's the beauty of it, or not reversed, but you can rewrite these things in life. But unfortunately, when you allow someone to disrespect you time and time again, it takes a massive blow on your own self-esteem. If your self-esteem was at an all-time high, you would have walked away after the first fucking time, without a doubt, okay? This is a self-esteem thing. And it's not saying that you did the wrong thing. You didn't. You legitimately were the victim in this scenario. But this is the reason why you feel so bad and this is the reason why you're obsessing. Here's the cunt that did this to you. But the issue, the reason why you can't get over him and the reason why you begged him for his love is because you were not happy within yourself and he, his actions and the, the dynamic of that relationship brought your self-esteem to a fucking low, okay? And then you say he then cut contact saying that he needs to get help for himself because he lost respect for you. When someone begs you to love them, you don't respect them. You think, fuck, why, why are you begging me to love you? You know, you should be good enough for me to love anyway. Why are you begging me? He's gone and disrespected you on numerous occasions. Then you come crawling back begging for his love. Of course he's not going to respect you. You know, he hasn't respected you in the past. Now even less of a chance, okay? You have to look at this situation as this person was an absolute dog from the get-go, number one. The reason you're obsessed with him is because you actually, you were addicted to that cycle of validation, okay? It's not him that you're addicted to. It's a cycle of validation. So you need to find a way to be providing ways of validating yourself, and not seeking it from anyone else. Don't get under someone to get over someone, none of that shit. You need to find a way to be validating yourself. And the best way to do that is to obviously do things for yourself, things that are caring for yourself, like things where you are nurturing yourself, whether it be eating or cooking for yourself or taking the time to cook a meal for yourself, taking the time to go for a nice walk, meditating, there's all these things. But then do things that create new experiences that only include yourself and people that you fucking adore. Not, oh, I've got a crush on this person and I'm really nervous. No, best friends, siblings, if you, you know, have great siblings, you know, th these people creating brand new experiences where you are truly laughing, where you can have a really good time. Those are the things that are going to start to build up your self-esteem and how to validate yourself, Okay. It's not an obsession with being with him. It's an obsession with the cycle. You need to break the cycle. I hope that helped. You're better than that. You're fucking better than that. You don't feel it right now, but within time, you will turn around and be like, what the fuck? I've changed. I'm a different person. That he could come crawling back and you will look at him being like, please stop. Remove yourself from the situation. Not interested. Not interested in a reason. Not interested in closure. I'd rather just not be just around you. All the best. Peace and blessings. Motherfucker. Guys, that is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed that today. Um, as always, please remember, be kind to yourself. Be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.